Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. It's two guys' take on life, liberty, and the pursuit of gravy. We are broadcasting live. We're hunkering down in the HB5 studios, getting ready for this hurricane in beautiful downtown historic Concord. I'll be your host, Biggin, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. But before we begin, let me introduce you to the second half of this crazy sideshow. That's right. I'm talking about the pride of Anderson, South Carolina, but probably you know him best as the Silver Tongue One, the 2016's Honorable Mention Father of the Year, the inventor of the Redneck Egg Roll. Give it up on old Mike Number One. It's Mojo. How about you, buddy? Hey, man, it's good to be back. Holy cow! Took another break. Took it. Well, anybody. you did. I did. Yeah, That's I, right. I stay here and try to crank it away. <laughs> Thank you for everybody for listening. Uh, please go to our Facebooks at Southern mm-hmm. Fry Philosophy. We only have one Facebook, not Facebooks. Okay. I thought it was a cool thing to say. Plural. <laughs> I call it the Facebook. <laughs> My daughter will be taking over our Instagram here pretty soon. All right. So that will be at SFP Radio. Um, once upon a time, we will we, we have a little Twitter account, so we'll, yeah, that's we'll SFP Radio also. Appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode. Um, please go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and give us a follow, a review, a rating, subscribe. We would love to have that. That's how we get our, our ratings up. And um, appreciate you guys listening in. So how was your trip to St. Louis? Oh, St. Louis. Yeah, it was great. Um, I appreciate you letting me take some time off. We you didn't have to ask me. Well, you know, <laughs> we uh, didn't have a show last week because I did travel uh, back home for my 20-year high school reunion. So that was fantastic. So how long, how long you, did you actually live in St. Louis? We know you were born in Jacksonville. Yep. Second episode that yep. we tell Big and Tells all about his life. So, mm-hmm. grew up, uh, born in Jacksonville, grew up in Kentucky. Yep. Uh, and then moved to St. Louis. Probably I left uh, Florida when I was nine, and then I left uh, St. Louis about sixteen, seventeen, somewhere around there. And you identify okay. with Kentucky basketball still? I, well, yeah. <sighs> when I was born, they threw on the like little UK onesie okay and i never have taken it off it's kind of like the how they do in tennessee with ut (laughs) same thing (laughs) you don't have to know how to spell tennessee but you're a ut fan (laughs) just have to know the ut that's right so how was uh how was your high school reunion oh it was great uh want to give a shout out to a couple of people lance and nathan and dan and the hendersons um i do have to say one thing like i I went back to st louis i haven't been there for 20 years like it has been i left there and never returned um my it's a frozen time uh, it really it was um it was amazing how everything looked very similar um and like the high school got bigger but it was still like you know the high school and you know the ice cream place was it still the ice cream place and i got some emo's pizza so i was really happy about getting some of that it was not as good as i remember but it was still good it never, it never is yeah but mm. the, the whole thing is the memory thing yeah so. and my wife has never been to st louis so it was good to go through the zoo and oh yeah that's an, they do have an awesome zoo there. holy cow yeah. it's fantastic like, any harambes there were yeah there were i tried to you know shoot them they said no <laughs> you didn't ju- you didn't jump into the accidentally fall into the pit or i anything. literally tried to get in there and they wouldn't let, they won't me. let you no so uh what part you had of, a banana and i was really kind of <laughs> hungry so i was like hey so what part of st louis <laughs> st louis did you uh did it you was, grow up in it was ellisville it's it's now Wildwood, um, but it was Ellisville then, back okay. in the day. So They changed the name of a city? They really did. Yeah. Wow. The guy left. They're like, eh, it's not as cool. Yeah, we, we'll call it Wildwood. Yeah, we, mm, whatever. Forever's, been ch- forever's changed, so we got to change the name. Right. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, one thing that I did learn was going back and seeing folks that you haven't seen in 20 years. Um, I just really want to encourage everybody, especially our listeners, is just, you know, take some time and... Think back to your childhood and growing up and remember those people who really impacted your life and really just reach out and get in touch with them and just let them know how much that they meant to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a chance to go back to a family that really meant a lot to me and spend some time with them. And I mean, there were tears shed. There were laughs. Is that the first time yeah. amount of communi- uh, communication you've had with them yeah. since you left? Yeah. You know, you go away and you... You know, as a high school kid, you like get busy and don't think about it. Life happens and stuff. But even as an adult, like you go back and you're like, well, I should have talked to this person for a while and I haven't. But please, seriously, like it means a lot to them and it means a lot to you when you get in touch with those folks. And just think back and just say hello. Yeah, we aren't aren't guaranteed in the the next day. So sometimes it's, yeah. I mean, especially with social media now. Yeah. I mean, probably. There's no excuse. 
eighty percent of America you know, is on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, to reach out and find those. In fact, you know, I have a lot of a lot of the teachers that mm-hmm. you know were influential in my life yeah. growing up. I'm, I'm in communication with them. You know, on Facebook Good. and things like that. Yeah. But um, there's, of course, probably a lot of teachers that won't accept my friend requests either. So that's okay <laughs> yeah. too. But but you have those too. Yeah. But uh, that's good. So yeah. this Emo's Pizza, you were telling yeah. me about it before you left. Old it had St. me intrigued. Yeah. So. so it's just a really thin crust. Okay. Um, it's got the cheese on it. It's like processed cheese. Uh, and they, so it's fake, fake mozzarella. Yeah. Okay. But they like they are glad about that. <laughs> they celebrate the processed cheese, and it's got a certain name to it. Um, and you know, you walk in to the old pizzeria that you grew up and like admired and, you know, loved, you know, going in there and seeing the, the cool kids, you know, making the pizza and you're like, oh man. And then you go back and realize every one of those kids are high right now. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they, they, they're smoking doobies in the back and they're not as cool as you. You know, for our generation, (laughs) you know, um, I think every generation probably has that place, mm-hmm. but for our generation, pizza places mm-hmm. and arcades, which yep. you know, you have to look that up, millennials. But um, <laughs> arcades were huge. Right. Pizzerias definitely were huge. Yeah, you know, that was the like I said, it's kind of like a like a social hierarchy. You yeah. know, um, the cooler you were, you know, you you would hang out there. You were cool, but if you worked there, if you work there. Oh, that was. Yeah, that was the cat, uh, the bee's knees, man. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you when you think back to like pizza places I, one of the ones i remember too is like the godfather's pizza oh yeah with the and it had like the table that you could play pac-man on mm-hmm. did you remember that mm-hmm. how awesome was that yeah you could yeah. eat pizza and, and play, play video games yeah. at the same time and they were for they were affordable too 25 cents yeah that or you sometimes you get eight tokens for like a you know i was talking or, for the pizza oh yeah 25, <laughs> 25 cents for the pizza wow <laughs> We grew up in like 1934 or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Get a loaf of bread for a nickel. So, I don't remember the 25 cent pizza. Oh, no. that, that's pretty awesome. Though. Yeah, no, it was it was a video game, but it was a good time. You know, like it was pizzerias. Mm. Well, and I think like I said, every town has their thing. And our thing was we had a little little pizza joint like that mm-hmm. too called Mazio's in my hometown, and it shut down probably shortly after. Um, after that, we all sat. We had we had a couple of different pizza places, but mm. you know that was those things are like have mythical proportions in sure. our brains now. Yeah. You know, growing older, that you that you have um, just some some identity there. Mm. And um, like you said, it was this is where the cool kids congregated on a Friday night or Saturday sometime, and um, this is where everybody would go after for the football games yep. or baseball yep. game or whatever and celebrate. So. Um, you were either in it or you weren't, and you were on the outside cusp of it. And a lot yeah. of times I was on the outside, but you always stro- strived to to be a part of that inner circle type yeah. thing. So um, I was in a weird place, man. Like I played on the football team, so I was part of the cool kids, but I always like hung out with the nerdy kids. So it was like you know, sorry if you're listening and you were I hung out with you. You weren't really a nerd, <laughs> but like you know, like I toted that line. I thought pretty well, um, and then I guess at some point you realize you're. One or the other, yeah. I was socially awkward in high school. I don't. That's. I'll put that mildly. <laughs> so, I'll say this to the ladies: I was always in the friend zone. Every time I was in yeah, the friend zone, yeah, I would. I didn't even make it to the friend zone. No, so did you not? I was. They looked at me like a creepy Uncle Fester or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, they. I didn't even make it to the friend. I prayed that would make it to the friend zone. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think half my prom dates out there probably just were sympathy dates. Yes, yeah. I got a so, sympathy prom yeah. date. Oh, uh, because uh, she, her. Uh, friend wanted to go with my best friend and then so she got drug along on that and i remember the day where like we got you know prom pictures right and then i was like hey do you want some prom pictures and she's like no i was like i was crushed i thought she actually enjoyed it and she yeah. wanted to keep a picture yeah see i, I thought i thought i i'd asked a girl to prom and I, I think it probably there was some probably back engineering negotiations between <laughs> my parents and this person's parents oh no and uh so of course, she said yes. I was like, "Oh yeah, God, yeah, dang. nailed it." Um, you know, I was a senior; she was a hot freshman. Whoa, so I was like, hey, buddy, yeah, we got it. We got it going on. So I, I, I was like, "All right, this is you dialed it up. This is going good." You know, mm-hmm. I put the Drakkar Noir. Yes, <laughs> my yes, dad, the my, dad, my dad's clone. Yes. So I, you know, I spiked it up. You know, so the prom went great. Got you it know. like you like it. Yeah, all tucked went, in. Went to the most popular, uh, you know, restaurant for the prom mm-hmm. in our town, and uh, just. Went to went to swipe a kiss at the end of the Ooh. night. And bam, 
Nah, wasn't happening. Mm-mm. Wasn't happening. So. I, we went, uh, and now, to the fine establishment, uh, Olive Garden. Ol- well, yeah, so that's where we went. Authentic Italian. Let me tell you, don't have kids. Let me just tell you, when you take your prom date, don't order the spaghetti with the red sauce. <laughs> Because that was all over me, yeah. like a champ. Yeah, she had to, the the prom picture, which I'm sure I could find somewhere. Like her hand covered the stain on on my shirt, like Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> That's awesome. It was awful, That's and awesome. like the whole time I had this huge red stain. Oh, I, I like to. Wow, uh, Biggin Biggin has a, a guest here, just kind of yeah, taking a listen. He uh, his name is Lafayette. Lafayette is a very interesting man. I've only got to know him for about. Ten minutes before the show, but, so he may interject some things here. Yeah, uh, Lafayette, how approximately how old are you? <laughs> you ain't got to give your age. I don't know. I, don't know how, I know some women don't like to give their age, but you're well, more than welcome. Well, I tell everybody that I'm older than most and younger than some. <laughs> I, I turned sixty-seven this summer. Oh, okay, boy. so you, same generation as my father. So, yeah. what what was a place that uh, you know the kids after school would go congregate? Where you're from? Um, from Central Kentucky. I grew up in Lexington. God, another Kentucky person. Go Kate. Uh, I'm proudly from Lexington. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a North. I consider myself a North Carolinian now. Of course. Um, what was real popular at the time was uh, pool, hmm. pool and uh, billiards and snooker. I thought oh, yeah. you were talking about like Marco Polo. No. <laughs> okay. So there was these real nice pool halls that had, you know, like 20 tables. Huh. And for 50 cents, you could play for an hour. Wow. Were, you, were you a hustler? I became extremely good at <laughs> pool. Um, a lot of us were very good at pool. Yeah. I had my own pool cue. It was just, you know, screwed together just like, uh, uh, I, do you remember the film The Hustler? Mm-hmm. Paul okay. Newman. Yeah, I was. I was Paul. Wow. My dad. My dad is uh, just turned seventy one this year, and uh, he's actually from this area. You know, uh, lived a couple of different places. But uh, uh, dad, if you're, <laughs> I know you'll be listening, so <laughs> my dad is like the most mild, meek person you know you'll ever meet. You know, uh, deacon of the church. You know, sure. church council. You know. Uh, Hasn't changed in numerous years. I don't think his mustache has even changed. He, he tempted to grow a goatee out and shaved it because he thought it looked evil. Um, but you know, my dad worked for insurance for thirty-four years. Just very predictable creature for right. habit. And uh, my dad will break. My dad sometimes will break out little snippets of his life. I don't think he wants to tell us too much. But uh-huh. when when it's needed to be told, like the moment I got arrested, well, son, that's okay. Um, yeah, I've I've been arrested before too. <laughs> Just things you never suspect. So, but my dad, my dad was a pool hustler too. He huh. told me about the stories. He had his own special cube with engravings, and wow. yeah, so he was a, he was a pool hustler too. So evidently, that was the the thing to do back then. So. Yeah, the uh, you know the Commodore, Amiga computers, Pong was a technological marvel at the time. And, <laughs> And if you had a transistor radio, that's what they called the yeah. little radios. Little pocket radios. Uh, uh, you would brag about how many transistors you had in it. You know, <laughs> well, mine's got nine. See, look, you can see them. And there wasn't much miniaturization at that time. That's kind of like when the when some of the new phones came out. Remember, mm-hmm. they, oh, this is a 32-gig iPhone. Or right. Is, yeah, so. It's still happening today. Yeah, yeah, look at my gigs. Mm-hmm. That's right. People, people like to brag about that things too so so his so lafayette's 67 years old his was the pool hall and ours was a pizzeria arcade so you said paul newman i'm kind of picturing you more as like tom cruise in the color of money um i don't remember that i don't think i saw i'm sorry i watched uh Top Gun 20 times, but I didn't see that one. <laughs> this is the man that, in Lafayette and I, like, we go back. He was my neighbor before when I, when we lived in in the, the old subdivision. But we were talking today, and, and we text back and forth. And uh, he, he said, well, I had to finally go back and watch uh, Napoleon Dynamite because yeah. we were texting Napoleon Dynamite quotes. So he's not your, your average 60, 60-year-old man, so he's funny. No, I, I I may have an old and decrepit body, but my mind's seventeen. <laughs> That's all right. My, my my wife says that my mind's still twelve years old. So, what's well, a good age? <laughs> it's a great age. Yeah, I get I get I get accused of that all the time. But I mean, because 
do fart and poop jokes ever get old, you know? Oh, no, so. they don't. And my mind is pretty much always in the gutter, so yeah. I need to get it out of there. Well, I, I think that's all of us, to be honest with you. So, <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, that's kind of that's kind of it. Yeah. I, see, he he says he's like Paul Newman. I would picture him as more of a Steve McQueen. Mm. Well, what it was was that movie really yeah. everybody yeah. wanted to be in that. You know, yeah, be that a was, pool that, player. That, that's, yeah. a, that's still an iconic movie. Of course, there's probably sure. probably generations will be lost to it, but very iconic movie, timeless, mm. timeless movie. So, um, speaking of Steve McQueen, I yeah. uh, heard today that Chuck Norris actually taught Steve McQueen how to. Do karate. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Stephen Queen's one of my favorite actors. Great Escapes, one of my mm. favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So what kind of car did you, what was your favorite car back then? Uh, interestingly enough, my w- mom had a 57 Chevrolet. Mm. Bel Air's the kind of. Uh, but it was an automatic two-door, so, you know. <laughs> uh, but the uh, Mustang was very popular. And the Chevy uh, 409 was mm. still, you there's, know, there's songs fire about, breathing. There's songs about that, yeah. Yeah. But the little motorcycles, the Hondas. Yeah, they, those were big. All of us had, I had a Honda 50. My friend had a Honda 90. If you had a hundred uh, uh, Honda 160, you were somebody. Mm. And uh, I used to do wheelies across the parking lot <laughs> when I left out of the playing pool. <laughs> what was your, what was your first what was your first motorcycle? It was a Honda fifty sport. I paid two hundred and fifty two dollars for what it. What year what year you think? Sixty um uh it was a year before I was old enough to get my license because I got stopped on it and got a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> my mother co signed and she didn't know that. I had young. to have a driver's license. I never bothered to tell her. I mean, you don't ask, you don't tell. That's right. That's right. Well, the army also took that one too. No, I, and that was that's interesting. That's because I mean, that's a huge impact, or that the Honda motorcycle was a huge, huge impact on impact on your generation because that's right when the influx of that motorcycle just mm. entered the states is like a it's like an invasion. There'd be like mm. eight or ten of us riding along on these. You know, a gang, yeah, doing forty-two miles an hour <laughs> down the highway. Think we're bad, Kid, kids. Kids, don't look at them. Don't look at them. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Anything? Um, anything else from St. Louis? Uh, you had to go to the Arch. Yeah, we went I, after living there for twenty years. I never went up because mm. my father was scared of heights. Okay, so so we finally got to go up in the Arch and, and have a good time with so that. Pop. So Papa Biggin was, uh, he's afraid of heights. He, he is. I remember as a kid, we would go to the zoo, and it was like they had a Dumbo-type ride in Jacksonville, and uh, you could control if you go up or down. Uh, and he always yelled at me when we went up to the top. It's a Dumbo ride. Is that know? Disney World? Uh, no, it was just the zoo. Oh, but okay. it was like a, okay. like the Dumbo ride, and you go up and down. And stuff. Okay. But, oh, yeah, he's, he's scared of heights, so he would never yeah. take me. My mother is too, so I can I can yeah. relate there. But we'd get on the second floor of a mall, and she'd like freak out. So yeah, <laughs> been there. Yeah, so we did go to some really good restaurants. Uh, we went to the Hill, like the Italian mm-hmm. section. Uh, some of the best food. It was incredible. I know your your wife sent me pictures. Yeah. Kept me updated on the food <laughs> food journey. So, that was, so it looked awesome though. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you had a, I'm glad you had a good trip. Yeah, so it was really good. So it was a fun time. Uh, though we did come back, and I do have a little what burns my biscuit. Okay. Oh, sweet Jesus. Um, squirrels. I just need to talk about squirrels. They are rats with just a really good PR guy. I've got to <laughs> I've got to say that. Yeah. I mean, they're cute, but they do some damage. Mhm. Awful damage. That's right. Your 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 old house now probably has some very <laughs> yeah. very old trees so. and some very very old squirrels. Yeah. Uh that are enjoying my house evidently. Okay. So uh we get back Jessica's uh you know, sitting at the her upstairs, her ups, office is upstairs. Okay, sitting at the upstairs office, and uh, she hears, you know, <laughs> pitter patter of little feet. What the heck is that? And then she and I'm downstairs, and we work for the same company, so she'll just ping me and be like, "Hey, I think there's a squirrel up here." And I'm like, "Ah, no, they're on the outside. They're just, you know, it's just a rat. It's you know." Yeah. Uh, and then a little bit long, a little bit later, you. Know, running around again and so i'm like you got to be kidding me so i go upstairs and I, I thought she was just joking but they actually were in the attic i open up the attic i walk upstairs and we're like locked eyes 
Like we are, we are at a stare down right now. And uh, then he just casually turns around and then like moseys down and gets out of there and goes out the hole. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw where it was. Um, They could work for the Mexican cartel if they're that good at digging, digging tunnels. Seriously. I mean, they should. You know, big in your house is surrounded with nut trees. Well, no. and so nuts inside. they're not going to go away. No. Well, uh, I'm going to bring out the old pellet gun. And- you need to open up a rodent B and B up there. <laughs> Airbnb, <laughs> squirrel B and B. When I was behind your house today, just looking mm-hmm. at your yard and deciding if I liked it or not, <laughs> uh, I heard one of them making that little. Uh-huh. Noise uh, and yeah. I looked up and he did it again. Uh-huh. He was on the other side. He was inside your house. Yeah. Mm. So I'll be gl- I'll be more than happy to come over with a, with a pellet gun if you yeah, want. I got time in the world to do it. Listen, we're gonna we're gonna have an invasion of <laughs> killing squirrels here in a little bit. We probably it'll we'll look probably, like Normandy. We well, actually, if we knew it, we can get a drone and have a little aerial oh, view. There we go. You remember the live tit the live trap? I yeah. Oh, I still got it. The, no, it's coming well, out. We're, get, we're getting it up there. But uh, we paid somebody to come out and fix it. Uh, well, evidently they didn't fix it because uh, you're still hearing them. But, well, they'll you know. move in. They, they'll, they're, they'll move into an empty territory that's rich with food like your yard yeah, is. Yeah, well, hey, buddy. And and evidently the neighborhood, again, has bought into the lie of the PR squirrel that, uh, they're oh, they're so cute yeah. and we can't do anything to them. Like, how did that start? Like, dude. The PR guy was just like, "Look, we got a, a thick, bushy tail. We're, we're look cute." But don't they un- don't don't your neighbors understand in the South will actually eat a squirrel? Yeah, like that is food. Yeah. It's not yeah, like it's food. I mean, they're delicious. It's a little greasy. You got to pick the pellets out, but yeah, otherwise they're pretty good. <laughs> Part of it too is they've never bit their children. Once <laughs> yeah. one bites their child, they're done with squirrels. All rules are off. Yeah, yeah, it's changed. And they do carry a little disease yeah. called rabies. Yeah. But so besides that, I don't. I mean, they are everywhere. So we will. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing some of those squirrels disappear. Just, That's a, well, just like, saying. If you need me to, I can. I'm. I've been in a squirrel assassin before when I was like eight, <laughs> nine, ten. Like sort of a Jack Reacher. From yeah, the Jack, <laughs> like a John, John Wick, Jack Reacher, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So. The Chuck Norris of uh, Yeah, I was pretty handy. Killers. I was pretty handy with a with a pellet gun back in the day with yeah. my grandparents' house. So. Yeah, well, we may have to bring that, that side out of you again. Joe Chip and Dale. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> Those rescue rangers, I tell you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're still going to be shooting the breeze with uh, Lafayette, Mojo, and Biggin. So we'll be back. You're listening to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Back to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. This is Mojo We're sitting here with Biggin and our special visitor of the day, uh, Lafayette. Lafayette is was formerly uh, Biggin's neighbor. Uh, uh, Lafayette is kind of imparting some wisdom on us and some stories in history uh, of his life. So we're, we're hoping to capture some of that on mic today. Um, we've been we've been chatting for about twenty minutes yeah, off, off, off the break. It's, uh, man, <laughs> so now we got to bring it on yeah, back. Yeah, he, he's uh he he is the Dosecki's man in flesh. I mean, he's, he's an interesting <laughs> we, guy. We so. really have had some really good like people the past three weeks. Right. Like um, the chef was fantastic, right. and then CJ so right. many stories, and now Lafayette is 
and in call him Leif for short, so we don't have to say <laughs> the, the Viking thing. name. Leif. Yeah. Leif. The gun store calls me Doc, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we won't say what my wife calls me. <laughs> <laughs> we all probably share the same name with that too. So. <laughs> hey, hey, dummy! But a uh, lot, a little bit, a little bit about Lafayette. This is what I know, Lafayette. I'm sure he'll fill us in more. But uh, Lafayette is of uh, uh, my, my parents' generation mm-hmm. and uh, being gen- uh, par- uh, dad's generation. So he's 67 years old. He served in Vietnam. Probably serving. Vietnam. Thank you for your service, by the yes, way, Lafayette. Um, he served as a corpsman medic, and um, and he also came home and, and then worked with IBM for a number of years. But we, we want to kind of get back to capture some things about his service, mm-hmm. but also the leading up to the service because I think it's I think it's I think it's very special. But we need to capture the stories of people older than mm-hmm. us yeah. for the younger, but also for our generation too, which you know we're Generation X, but. Um, because this is stuff that we hopefully never ever have to see. Yeah. Um, I hope you know my prayers. My kids never have to to, to witness a, a draft, or my kids never have to, or anybody else's kids mm-hmm. have to have to be forced to or volunteer to go overseas and fight in a war that in a foreign land that it just we don't know the purpose of it. Yeah. So, um, but we'd like to bring Lafayette back here, and we'll we'll kind of start out with. Just some, some kind of Q&A with him about Vietnam. So yeah. what, what would be your first question, Megan? Uh, so so, what inspired you or what? why did you go into the military? Why did you go in the Navy? I was unhappy. <laughs> I was not getting along with my family. I wasn't happy with my situation. Hmm. I was 18 and a half, and they were drafting at that age. It was a difficult time because in uh, there was a lot of casualties in Vietnam at that time in uh, late uh, excuse me uh, late sixty seven, mm. early sixty eight, and uh, I just I needed to get out of Kentucky, <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to be drafted and and be sent to. I didn't want to be drafted into the Marine Corps because they were drafting for a short time there. Mm. And sent to Vietnam. Gotcha. I, you know, I, I didn't do it for patriotic ideals. <laughs> I did it for selfish reasons. So if you if you got picked up, if you went into the draft, you didn't have any any option to where you wanted to go. But if you signed up, you could at least pick. Yeah, where you I, to go. I originally went gotcha. to the Air Force trying to go to them, but there was a six month waiting list. Hmm. So I walked down the hall to the Navy. I figured, well, you know, I. Uh, be a sailor and be on a boat, you know, and be, wouldn't <laughs> right. be in Vietnam. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, when I went to a boot camp in the Navy and I filled out the paperwork for my school, I wanted to be a data systems technician, which today we know as computer operators. <laughs> and uh, he put me down. He said, there's openings. You Your test scores are all great and everything. And that was that was what we were going to do. And then as he laid the sheet aside, he, he was looking at the papers and he said, Lad, you, you did graduate high school. I said, no, uh, the 10th grade was as far as I successfully completed. Hmm. He wadded that up and threw it in the trash <laughs> and slid another paper and said, here's your choices. You can be a sonar man or you can be in the medical field. I'd hmm. seen the movies. I didn't want to be sonar. <laughs> Why is it, why is that? Well, ping ping, and then the depth charges. <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't want to do that. So uh, you know, run silent, run deep. I, I didn't want part of that. So I said, "Well, I want to be a hospital corpsman." And he said, "No, lad, you don't understand. You're either going to be a dental tech or you're going to be a hospital corpsman. We'll decide that. You can just put down what your desire is." That's how I became a corpsman. Hmm. But I. I, I I should have been a data systems technician. <laughs> so that, still sore of that. Yeah. I, I got my good enough diploma in the Navy just as quickly as I could. <laughs> Which is GED for those who <laughs> don't know that. Um, so, what was the general cult, the climate of you know the the time? I mean, with 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 America. Oh, there was a lot of uh, protesting against the war in Vietnam. Uh, so this Charlotte thing isn't new at all to you, huh? 
No, <laughs> no, it's just, you know, it, it comes and goes. And, mm-hmm. uh, but there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of uh, polarization. There was actually, the war had been dragging on since 64, 65. A lot of young men were dying every week. There was one week there where I think it was over 200 men died. Wow. And, and I think uh, we lost, what, 4,000 or maybe it's about right, five, six, almost six. Let's just say the high end, 6,000 we've lost, you know, total soldiers in, a, yeah, total in Afghanistan or Iraq. Right. And we were losing some days in Vietnam. We're losing – it could have been that amount in some days, I mean, I'm sure. So, well, the first, some weeks. the first major battle was the Battle of the Idrong Valley, mm-hmm. uh, which we've all seen the movie and everything by – we were soldiers. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Joe Galloway was the one that wrote that book and that – film was based on his book and it, it's pretty close hmm. uh but there was a tremendous amount of uh, soldiers our soldiers that were killed that day and, and of course there was just a lot of vietnamese north vietnamese soldiers killed too and uh but what we discovered as soldiers as military was that we were being lied to hmm. imagine that well it you know it's like a it's like a a revelation when you first realize it you've realized it for a long time i have too but when i first realized it it was it was really disheartening mm-hmm. but what i realized was that i had raised my hand to the square and i had taken the oath to defend the constitution mm-hmm. not to defend the president mm-hmm. he was commander in chief but he wasn't the object of my desire <laughs> And uh, so I, uh, I I approached it from that point of view that I was going to do my duty. I was going to be true to the, to the oath. I was going to be true, uh, try to be a true friend to the Constitution. And I was going to do everything I could, uh, and I mean everything, to help my Marines stay healthy and stay alive and go home to Mama. Mm. Right. And so uh, a corpsman that's in the battlefield, he doesn't think much about himself Hmm. because he's busy thinking about these guys. And uh, the the Marines are really good about being selfless. Uh, They fight for their their comrade on the left and their comrade on the right. They're not fighting for themselves or for some great ideal. Hmm. Every firefight... I was in, I, I didn't hear the Star Spangled Banner going through my mind. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was self preservation uh, or unit, well, unit, unit preservation? N- no, uh, after a while, you just, you know, that's normal way of life. Hmm. Yeah. You get, that becomes your normal. I, I hope I never see that kind of normal, you know. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, violence just becomes the normal way of life, and uh, good do good do your good do your war, and then go eat a cheeseburger afterwards. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. We'd cool. go we'd go out in the evening, and we'd set up our ambushes at night, and and uh, put out our claymores and our flare trip flares and everything. And uh, when we had movement, uh, our machine gunner would open up on them, and we would try to kill them. I mean, that's. We try to kill them quicker than they could react, and then try to kill us, and uh, that's what it was all about. Well, yeah, like in, in um, killing people and breaking stuff. It's, yeah, I mean, American Sniper, like in the book, um, Chris Kyle just said at some point he just got he just got used to killing people. And yeah, then you it, do. And it just got to a point where they were trying to find new ways to to kill them because it just because they were bored. So becomes it becomes out of pocket, yeah. second habit, yeah. second nature. Yeah. You think about that and just like what that puts mentally the soldiers through. Like that's insane. Yeah. Like, it's it's not a it's not a second nature thing. It's more of a you're overwhelmed and you go numb. Mm. And uh, so it's like it, your humanity takes a back seat for a second, or you still who you are, but. When you're in, when you're in a firefight, you're doing your job. Right. You're 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 doing your training, and uh, you you really don't think about you getting hurt or you getting shot because you're so focused on doing your training, hmm. which is to help your enemy die for his cause. 
And so uh, uh, it's only afterward that you think about it. And then after you've done that for, excuse me, after you've done that for a while, you don't think about it afterwards because there's no new data. Right. Mm. It, it's the same thing. And, uh, um, you know, when you're out there and you're in a fair fair fight, what's a fair fight? <laughs> you, those guys have guns and you have guns and you're trading rounds with each other. That's one. That's one thing. But uh, the cowardly act of attacking an innocent child or children or families or people like that in your in their villages simply because they're in close proximity and 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 then assumed to be friendly by these people. And today we have the uh, the terrorists doing what they're doing. Well, I've seen that before. It just wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. Hmm. I've seen it, and uh, it's it's really disheartening. And it just uh, you know, they're cowards. Hmm. They're well, cowards. They, no... they, it's all about the terror. It's not about it's not about winning a war. It's about terrorizing people into immobility. Well said. Hmm. Well said. Yeah. Um, how long were you, how long were you over there? Uh, about eight thousand years. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's what I felt. Like. It was a twelve month tour. Okay, wow. way too long. Yeah. When you got back here stateside, I mean, we're not going to try to cover or or make history rainbow and sunshines, but you know the the welcome home celebrations that you've seen after uh, oh, Desert know. Storm and and other other interactions and wars you, that that wasn't applied to you guys. I, I don't care. I was glad for them. Well, I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying, but yeah. but for but for your generation coming back from a war, it wasn't seen that way. I was just uh, for six months after I came back. I was just so it was like a psychological celebration going on inside of me. You know, I was pointing all the pistols at the sky and shooting <laughs> off into space. You know, I was so glad to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. And getting to sit on a toilet and actually watch it flush and drink water from a faucet and uh, those kinds of things. And um, and then about six months after I returned, the shine wears off. Hmm. And then the symptoms begin. And uh, so post-traumatic stress uh, has been part of my life, uh-huh. all my adult life. And uh, I don't say that seeking any sympathy or anything. No. It's just it's that's my reality. And uh, yeah. well, see, I think that's one thing that's never really covered because you, you've we've heard about it so much. Not, and it, it, we've done a people have done a good job of bringing PTSD to light with the the past you know couple. They of wars. really right. have. They really but have. What about your generation? What about the Korean War? Yeah, my grandfather was in World War Two. I mean, oh, it was. You, you never heard of it? They glossed it. Uh, yeah. glossed it over. I don't know for paperwork or what, but I got out of the Navy in '72. I came back in sixty end of '69 from Vietnam. It wasn't until nineteen about 1982, when and I may be wrong on this that the government. The VA finally considered, you know, said, okay, we'll stand responsible for this and we'll compensate the veterans. I had a dear friend who served in World War II. He made four major beachhead landings. He was wounded multiple times. He spent a long time in the holes in the ground on Anzio Beach. He had hospital ships shot out from under him sunk out wondering he was in the infantry division that that uh liberated dachau Uh, wow he was amongst the first troops in there and uh he self-medicated with alcohol Uh and the most he ever got compensated a month was a hundred dollars and it was for his alcoholism they didn't recognize that he was just so they treated wow. they treated the uh, mm. they treated the the vice that covered that covered the disease. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So it wasn't until the uh, early '80s that proper compensation and treatment was began. And now today, there's uh, they really talk to the troops. You know, I mean, they serve multiple tours. Some mm-hmm. of them. 
Uh-huh. Well, they have been for the last 15 years. Yeah, we've lost track, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, for future generations, and I mean, no one, I mean, no one wants to see us go to war, but for future generations, I'm, I'm glad that they've kind of recognized it and they've made an effort, a huge effort to, to put it, shine a spotlight on it because, um, you know, the statistics, you know, for a long time was you had a huge homeless population among veterans. You still do. But a lot of them was Vietnam veterans. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd see these guys that. Well, it's, it's, it was yeah. because of the times you had. Now, remember, you were in the 60s. And the 60s was the freedom, the, the psychedelic drugs. And, you know, that's when the drug cultures kind of started. And, uh-huh. and uh, people took drugs recreationally. Mm. And uh, so when they, they were using over in Vietnam. I mean, everything's widely available. They would steal our morphine. The corpsman had to sign out morphine cassettes that uh-huh. had several morphine serrets in them. And uh, they would steal those. And uh, heroin was, in some areas, was readily available. And everybody was smoking do- doobies, you know. Yeah. And I didn't do any of that. But, uh, but some of my Marines were doing it. And I mm-hmm. tried to warn them, you know. But... You know, you get hooked on stuff like that, and then you go home, your supply is not as dependable and mm-hmm. takes more money. Yeah. Uh, and then you're not going to get any kind of uh, help from the government readjusting. There was no debrief. Mm-hmm. When I came back from Vietnam, I processed out of Vietnam to Okinawa. I was in Okinawa for two days. They put me on a plane with a bunch of others. We flew into... Uh, San Francisco. And from there, I walked down to the domestic terminal, and I caught a plane to Lexington, Kentucky. Wow. There was no debrief. No decompression or nothing? No, uh-uh. Wow. So, uh, you know, in Lexington, I'm diving for the couch when the cars backfire as they go by. And that happened a few times. And uh, um, I still have a, a hyperactive startle response, and I've got to know where everybody is. And I don't want people behind me. You know, there's things like that, but it's not the end of the world. Used to be. No, but that's. I mean, just. Look. I was dead, but I'm better now. <laughs> but just, look, I mean, but just look, but just look though. I mean, you know, you were in your twenties. Yeah, as a and kid, it still has affected you for forty over forty years. Oh, I mean, it, it's it it it's uh, they. It's rewired your neurology. It's rewired rewired your personality, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. and I mean, thank God you're you know. Thank God you're still here, and you're—I mean, like you said, you're not asking for sympathy or anything like that. But I know people that have been—they don't haven't processed it the same way. Some people milk it. Yeah, they'll—they'll milk it. Well, they milk it, but also I've seen people that have just—they've destroyed their lives. Yeah, they feel sorry for themselves. I met a guy; he was a Vietnam vet, and he got into a bad firefight, and uh, he shot this Viet Cong woman that had a like a pack on her back, right? And when they go over and search the bodies for everything, there was a there was an infant in that pack. It was her mm. baby. Uh-huh. Mm. And at that point, he convinced himself that he was a murderer, but he wasn't a murderer. He was in combat. That's not murder. I think, had, it's, I think it's what they refer to as casualties of war. Yeah, it's so. just a casualty. It's the yeah. circumstance. But the way he processed it, and I met this man in. Uh, 81, talked to him about it and listened to his story and realized how much pain he was in. And I tried to, I tried to reason with him and he would only go so far. And, um, there's a lot of them out there that are still, they're stuck in time. To me now, the war, it's over. It's been over for a long time, but I have these symptoms. Mm -hmm. But one thing I learned from the VA was that bad behavior is bad behavior. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what's behind it. If it, I reach out and touch you with my bad behavior, ooh, that's bad. Mm. So, If my wife is listening, you're bad behavior. <laughs> yeah, I'm, ac- I'm accountable for right. my bad behavior. So it's my responsibility to see that I'm, I properly take care of myself, stay rested, pick my battles very carefully. Mm. 
that is uh, I mean, that's a pearl of wisdom that everyone yeah. can use. I mean, because there's no excuse right. for bad behavior. I mean, mm-hmm. as long as you're you're accountable to yourself and realize it, then you can move mountains. You, you can't say, well, you know, I got PTSD. Well, you'll see society. If you can't function in society to their minimum standards, society is going to put you in a box. That's mm-hmm. what they do. That's what they uh-huh. call jails. And uh, you'll probably get some help while you're in there. But still, the bad behavior has to be addressed. That's right. So, you know, I I learned how to repair drywall. I learned how to replace doors. I learned how to fix hardwood. I learned how to fix a lot of things that I broke when I had rages. Uh-huh. So, so I'm going to invite you over to my house to fix some of this stuff. I <laughs> fix it permanently. So, I'm like the guy that knows how to take it apart, but I can't put it together very well. <laughs> so we, we were kind of talking during break about uh, our this generation, this, yeah. this millennial generation. And our, you know, I have a kid who kind of guess fits in that mold too. But um, I, I have a fear for them. I have a mm-hmm. war, a general worry. I know, uh, granted, granted, I know there's some great ones out there, so I, mm-hmm. I, I know we kind of bash a little bit, but they're so easy to bash. But, but yeah. I know there's good ones out there, but there's some other ones out there too that that fit that stereotype of a basement dweller, mm-hmm. that, um, like yeah. like Hillary said, the Bernie supporters. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what's your take on this generation? Because I mean, at, at, like you said, you, at 20 years old, you were. In the field, saving people's lives and responsible for other men. And 20, you talk to this twenty-year-old of the day who's there's there's a guy on YouTube. He's called the Yankee Marshal, and one of his intros is, "I'm a grown ass man." <laughs> when I was twenty, I was a grown ass man. Yeah. The Navy saw to that. Uh-huh. Uh, the other day, I was talking to a twenty-year-old, and uh, he's still living with his parents. He works at Cracker Barrel, and he spends his free time playing games, computer games. He's a gamer. When you're in your 20s, that's the ambition decade. Uh That's the decade when you can burn the candle at both ends, still get up the next day and do it again, day Uh after day after day. That's a good way to put that, man. And you can accomplish you can set the stage for the rest of your life for the success and everything, but you've got to do the labor in that decade to mm. get it done. Get her done. <laughs> and uh, I was listening to him, and his his plan, his action plan, was to live with his parents and gain. He says he's going to go to college. Mm. He wants to be a... Um, Design. Graphics design. Yeah, graphics design. And uh, I I just asked him, I said, how does gaming get you there? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like asking these young people, how are you going to pay for that? Um, well, it's, yeah. just like we, it's just like we watched the old interview with the, the college kid on the... Uh, Cavuto? Yeah, Neil Cavuto's show where she was talking about the... Uh, she wanted uh, yeah, the, free college. Free, free college and free this, free that. $15 minimum wage. Uh, yeah. Right. And Neil Cavuto just simply said, how are we going to pay for it? And she was trying to give her explanation. When he when he countered her explanation, she was a deer in headlights. So I guess this yeah. is a— Do you remember when the Red Queen in the Johnny Depp Alice in Wonderland asked the girl what her name, Alice, what her name was or something? Uh-huh. And she said, um, and, and the Queen called her, um— from then on, and when she introduced her, she said, "This is um." So we're going to change that that millennial title to um. They're just ums. Yeah, they're just ums. Yeah. Gosh, it's a good. That's a good name. Umites. Yeah. It really is. Like it. It. It baffles me how there's no. And we've talked about this on the show. Like common sense is a superpower. Like literal common sense, basic math. That can make you a superstar, you know. If you can have those two things in this generation, the sky's the limit for you. I think the idea of putting the burden of your care and keeping on the shoulders of others mm-hmm. in my world—that's anathema. Mm-hmm. Right. It, w- w- Self-reliance, taking care of yourself as a young person, 
should be your number one goal is is to that's what all those 18 19 years was about mm-hmm. was teaching you life skills so you can right. go out and do life and so when i in my generation most of the people that i knew that was between 18 and 20 years old was either in the military if they're men mm-hmm. or they had their own address mm-hmm. wow people went out on their own and uh, if they lost their job, they hunted for and got another job. And a lot of times they lived in a car. Uh, my sister spent some time living in a car many years ago. Living in the van down by the river. She called it camping out. Yeah, <laughs> She never did get the government cheese, though. <laughs> At what point, though, did that be – because there was a stereotype, right? When when you had to get government assistance, when you had to ask for help, where that was shameful or that was something that was not sought after. At what point in, in our history did that become – a uh, something to be sought after or, or you know a badge of honor when the politicians started saying vote for me i'll give you stuff mm. i think of the 90s you know what i'm saying you i think, think so? when I, well, well the 70s was known as the me generation yeah. but i think the 90s is when they started broadening more welfare mm-hmm. and uh i mean supposedly we had welfare reform mm-hmm. but the only thing that was i think they opened up more avenues that's so, a I mean, code phrase for more welfare <laughs> yeah, that's right but <laughs> You know, because like, look at our generation, Generation X. Um, trust me, we had the generation who never washed clothes, slept on a couch in a friend's sure. apartment with 12 other people, but we still got up and went to a job. Right. You know, and then five years later, we did save our save a few pennies and make something of ourselves. Right. I mean. You know, in the military, you go out and make the world safe for democracy. Right. You clean your gun and everything, and then you go home and do your laundry. Yeah. <laughs> And you iron your own clothes. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. you know, you, you, you were always being self-reliant, being responsible. Right. Yeah. But I think each generation has kind of gotten a little bit worse. I mean, because yeah. like I said, we, I remember shacking up with three or four other guys. We all worked at the same place. And, mm-hmm. and But we, we got up and worked. I don't care yeah. how much we went out the night before. Or some of us had two or three jobs. Yeah. Most of us had two or three jobs. We still got up and went out. I mean, we looked like a hobo most of the time, but you know, we still like we still got up and took it serious. And then yeah. a lot of us who pursued those type of, you know, menial jobs made careers out of those menial jobs mm-hmm. and actually owned our own menial businesses, you know, but um you don't I don't think you're gonna see that a lot now. I yeah. remember one of the, the the best things that my father ever said, he looked me in the eye at like the age of twelve and he said, You realize at age of eighteen you are out of here. Like you are not living here anymore. Like look me in the eyes, and I was at twelve. I was like, "Oh crap!" Like I got seizures. You know, get my like, stuff together. Yeah, I've got to get this together. I had that same speech given to me throughout the years, mm. so it wasn't just, just that a one reminder. time, but yeah. just a reminder. Like at eighteen, you're gone. All right. You know, you got to figure your stuff out, and that was a wake up call to say you got to get your stuff together, and you've got to develop a game plan. Now, uh, Cracker Barrel guy, uh, mom and dad are saying, "Yeah, sure, crash on They're the couch. enabling him exactly. But even, but exactly. even the government, but even the government is enabling too. Because if well, you live at home until yep. you're what age twenty six, twenty six now, you yep. just remain on your parents' insurance. You don't even have to live at home. Or okay, but yeah, I mean, until you're twenty six, you can yep. remain on parents' insurance as long as you're not married. You can that, stay that's on ridiculous. But oh, yeah. but I think you you know, at take it back twenty six. <laughs> I mean, think about it at twenty six yeah. years old. I, I'd what love to tell you where doing? I was at 26. I already had I had my own businesses. At yeah, you know what the, you know what this boat you know what this really means is that those that are self reliant and that are independent they're gonna they're gonna lead the pack. They're gonna succeed wildly because and everybody else is gonna work for them. Right. It, it, because well, as long as they don't get taxed, <laughs> or, or they decide they're not gonna show up to work anymore yeah. because we don't want to go to work. I think uh, going back to something you just said earlier, I, I think one thing that we have removed, and I'm, I'm not saying it, this is great across the board, mm-hmm. but we we have removed an element of shame out of society because yeah. there was such a stigma with with welfare. And I'm not look, it's it's a, it's a hand up, mm-hmm. I, I, it's a hand up, not supposed to be a hand out for life. Right. Um, and I and people that need it, that's what it's sure. there for. That's exactly. what it's there for. Okay. Take it. Um, but we've taken we've removed the element of shame because I can remember families that would you know you'd find out that their dad lost their job and or mom lost her job or dad and mom lost both their jobs whatever mm-hmm. and they'd have to take assistance yeah but they 
but I guarantee you they weren't going to stay on assistance forever mm-hmm. because they were that was a pride issue. That yeah. was a tearful moment when they had to go to the grocery store and buy groceries and hand over back in the day it was food stamps, mm-hmm. you know, not this, you know, EBT card looks mm-hmm. like a, a patriotic visa. Right. Um I grew up most of my youth as on assistance. So yeah. And uh but you know, mother had to go to this place and get what they called commodities. Mm-hmm. It was big old twelve pound block of government cheese and rolled wheat. And yeah, it wasn't nothing it, it wasn't nothing fancy. Big cans of peanut butter, real yeah. peanut butter. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> and, that's good stuff. But Some of it, that's probably it, actually better than what they feed us now. Yeah. But, you know, and and uh, I but I never did learn to to drink or consume non fat dry milk. <laughs> there are just some things. Some things There's a line, line. you got to draw. Yeah, <laughs> but but the you know that I remember being being part of that, that generation where it was you know you didn't want to be on it. You know you you thought you were being looked down upon. Right. But now you hear people brag about it. Oh yeah. You hear people it's brag about oh, it's first a month. I get my I get my mm-hmm. I get my re up or whatever. I mean, so it's. I hate that we've – like I said, I don't know if – the shame part, I, I don't want to put anyone down. But for people to actually look forward to it yeah. and not – and use that as a as a backbone as yeah. part, of their, part yeah. of their income instead of actually going out and, and looking, just yeah. it, it hurts. So you know, in uh, 1987 uh, – 1989, excuse me, my wife and I became debt-free. Congratulations. You can do your debt-free scream if you like. (laughs) uh, Completely debt-free. Wow. And until you're that way, you you can't comprehend it. Mm -hmm. You think you can, you imagine it, but until you have that level of independence to come and go, um, you, you just, it's such a feeling of freedom. Now today I own a more, I own a small mortgage, all right. But other than that, we've managed to stay debt free, and the reason was is is because if times got hard, we weren't living from paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, the level of debt. I just heard a thing uh, today that student debt now exceeds credit card debt. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm. there's a lot of student loans going on. People get four-year degrees. They come out, and they can't get a job. But they've still got the loan. Yeah. Don't think about that. Yeah, part. I, was, I was listening to one of the guys that goes to church with us. and uh, So it's worth getting out of debt oh, yeah. as much as you can. And he, uh, I mean, he, he and his spouse combined, you know, they have a uh, quite a bit, you know, and his minimum payment, quite a bit, too. <laughs> I mean, it's it's probably – a good one of their paychecks per month, you know. Wow. Um, but of course, they actually don't owe as much as a lot of students do. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine being saddled by that debt. I mean, it's difficult. Yeah, because like you know, twenty years ago, the college education wasn't that expensive. Thirty years ago, wasn't that expensive. Right. So I mean, the cost of uh, school, uh, colleges, and stuff has gone up astronomically. So yeah. um, it's definitely not affordable. But being saddled with that coming out with a useless degree to boot, yeah. Underwater basket weaving doesn't yeah. pay like it used to. I've, I've got a nephew that I think he kind of hit the nail on the head as far as helping his his kids be responsible. He told him, he said, I'll put you through the first year of college. After that, if you want a college degree, that's up to you. It may take you a little longer than others because you're going to have to, like, go get a job and save some money up so you can make your tuition payments. Hmm. But... If you get that degree, it will be because you earned it. Mm-hmm. You appreciate it a lot more, too. Yeah. That's exactly what he yeah. said. So that's something that I recommend to people. But, see, people don't they don't want to wait. They're young. Yeah. They want it now. And, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but also, you know, you know, I think we've been sold a mass lie, too, with, with college education. Because not every career mm-hmm. out there needs a college education. Go to They're, a good vocational school. Yeah, there you go. Get a trade. The trades are screaming for help. Yeah, and that's, what, that's one thing I was about to say. Trades and vocations are, are hurting. I mean, yeah. carpentry, electricians, plumbing, just general jobs like that, which you can actually make great money in. Listen, I, I mean... I paid a good chunk of change for somebody to go in and try to fix my squirrel problem. <laughs> hey, you know? In Utah, and, and this is just because I saw an, uh, a thing about it, a report. 
in Utah, they have right at 4,700 licensed plumbers. Mm -hmm. They need over 9,000 plumbers to meet the demand. So they're running at about half. That doesn't just exist in Utah. That exists in North Carolina. And every trade, though. Every Mm -hmm. trade. So what do I got to do? Well, some trades, you only have to go to a one-year vocational school or six months to get some kind of certification Mm -hmm. and get started. Yeah. You know, a machine operator. We're not talking tool and die. A machine operator. They typically start out somewhere between 12 and 14 an hour. Well. And you can go to a school to become a machine operator. Here's the problem, though. That's going to require me getting up off the couch. Oh, work. And getting off my lazy A and stop gaming and actually have some drive. And I think that's part of the key. Uh You know how these kids start gaming? Mom and daddy buy them the yep, game. Yep. And then mom and daddy are the first to complain about their children <laughs> spending so much time playing games. Well, but also mom and dad <laughs> let the game be a surrogate yep. or you oh, know, yeah, babysit yeah. them, too. So yeah. that's TV in the car, too. Yeah. No, they got to get them off the teat of the Super Nintendo. <laughs> or that's, that's how old I am with PlayStation. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's progressed a little further than that now. So. <laughs> well, you were talking Pong earlier. I thought I'd bring up the Mario Brothers. <laughs> Anyway, my well, idea of good gaming is watching a nice kung fu movie. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, that'll be a wrap. Hey, Leif, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been it's been awesome. Get to, I would love to have him come back for part two sometime. Uh, yeah. The pleasure's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. Hey, again, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Um, tune in to us on iTunes, Google, um, Google Play, Play, and Stitcher. So give us a rating because that helps boost us up in the we're, we're tearing through. Well, not really. It's just a small rip of the podcast world. So we'll we'll do our best. Uh, anyway, again, thanks for tuning in. This is Southern Fried Philosophy. See you next time. Get situated. This will make noise, won't it? Yep. If you do it like that, jump rope it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just don't jump rope with the cord. All right. Please. I'll just. We're going submarine here. <laughs> with the screen door on. All right. We're going in three, two, one.